Hi, this is Lord Joseph from Healing with Spirit for our first episode of Triggers and Spiritual Medicine. My guest today is Ukamba Sati from Men's Work. We're here to talk about how we inadvertently as Americans tend to not even realize, but we can sexualize uh, young children and do it in a way that we don't even realize it. And we're going to have this conversation, but we're also going to share some pearls as far as what you can do, how you can build awareness, and how can we shift this culture of abuse that we are all kind of a product of. Um, to kind of give you a little scope, this is stemming from a result of a photo, very kind of innocent photo that was posted on social media of three boys, two of them had signs in front of their genital area, um, blocky saying um, car washed. And it kind of gave the impression that they were naked. And, and the impression was that there was this naked thing and there was a sexualization thing. And it was all about promoting having adults view them um, and adults laughing, thinking it was okay. So we're gonna have a conversation about this. It's not gonna be about these particular boys, but this is just one instance that is kind of sparking this conversation for us to have about a problem that is kind of systemic. We have just had Ali Reisman and Simone Biles just testify in front of Congress about similar situations. We just had the town of Duxbury football team also cast a light on the coach who uh, was um, uh, abusing some of the athletes on the team. So this is, this is a scope of the history, how we, it's not why it happens, it is how it happens. Because my goal is, uh, going to the bystanders of what we call the bystanders of abuse and how can we engage the bystanders on catching these little red flags and how do we stop it so we can educate our youth where they're not confused or blurred with boundaries okay so combo would you like mm -hmm. to introduce yourself please well thank you so much laura i really appreciate the conversations that we've had and the conversations we're about to have um, yes, I, I've been involved in um, higher ed um, doing cultural media literacy and cultural media studies for about 16 years. So these conversations about um, about gender and sexuality and about race, racism, colonialism, um, the environment I've been having for 16 years have been, um, you know, facilitating these conversations with uh, students for a long time um, and also have been work outside of higher ed now um, around men, the men's work initiative that I started um, to basically give some background and some education, some room for growth for men in the context of patriarchy, rape culture, and misogyny and misogynoir. Uh, thank you, Dr. Moya Bailey, for that concept in your writing, um, but also um, to, and, and also in these contexts, I've done workshops um and you know led men's meetings things like that i'm involved in uh, an ongoing men's meeting doing my own work that kind of thing and and doing some work with uh, men's groups in the new england area around organizing what kinds of activism and internal um growth we can do so you know these are uh, ideas and concepts that i've been working with for a long time and i'm very happy to have these conversations ongoing beautiful i just want to read because i did post the photo in question on social media. And I want to address some of the comments that I found to be problematic. Mm -hmm. uh, boys will be boys. Can you take a joke? Shame on the adults that, can, that can't understand a, a system that you created. Um, 
they're good boys who probably made a tiny error of judgment. They don't need to be crucified for that. If our kids act like childish because I guess they are 14, 15, 16, or 17, um, let's see, uh, the boys in an expression of free speech, a parody protected under the First Amendment. Trying to silence them is wrong. So I would mm. like to just kind of talk about just some mm. of those comments, you know, mm. like, because I, I don't think, I don't want to point out the individuals because I think it's a really a reflection of our society. And what does this really say? Because I did address one of them saying, uh, non-intentional sexualization of teenage boys, which was not actually another, non-intentional sexualization of teenage boys. Mm. I said, is actually the gateway of unintentional grooming practices that blur healthy boundaries and if encountered with a predator, that that boundary can be confused by that child, which can then lead to more subtle grooming practices. Like it's, it's not the why. I think people go, oh, we know sexual predation. We know child abuse. Mm -hmm. We know all these things. But we don't mm -hmm. know the how. How does this happen? We're giving the public now how this can happen and how we're giving kids a green light to boundaries that are blurred, right? And right. then they don't know what is what is acceptable and what is not. Right. Yeah, thank you. Two things that come up for me right away is, is uh, one is accountability. And we have to look at that um, really broadly and really specifically. And let's just say those boys and any boys who do things like that, anybody who does anything like that has to be accountable for actions. If they help a, 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 an older person across a street, they're accountable for that. And, and we would say that's good. But if they do something that's not, that, that is unsavory or, or a bad decision or, or a mistake or something like that, they're still accountable for that. And, and actually the second thing, boys will be, is the negation of that accountability. And it's actually predator speak. You know, it's saying that um, when boys will be boys, it's like, well, we don't have to hold them accountable because that's just what they do. They have no ability to control their actions and there's no trail of accountability, no trail of responsibility, which means there's no trail of healing. There's no trail of, of rectification or, or restorative justice, you know, or restoration in any way. So if we continue to push that narrative of boys will be boys, um, we continue to allow rape culture and patriarchal violence and sexualized violence to to run as rampant as it still does. And we know it does. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the ongoing studies that I refer to is a writing that that's done by someone that has said pretty plainly the 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 most dangerous place for women is in their own home, because globally, that's where so much violence happens you know, physical violence, sexualized violence. So the context of this is pretty broad and pretty wide, but the issue of accountability is key to this. And we have to fight against those narratives that boys will be boys. And this is just what we should expect. When you talk it's to- uh, talk, right? It's right, exactly. It's what's normal, but we have to realize that that's normalized, that we live in a process where we normalize those things. It's not just normal because the sun comes up, it's been made to be normal, just like drinking Coca-Cola seems like a normal thing now, where that didn't exist 100 years ago, you know, or 150 years ago. So 
um, we have to look at that as being a process of culture and possibly a culture that's not working completely right on all on all you know distance if you will so yeah i think there's some real issues that come up with that yeah yeah so i mean what comes to mind we talked earlier like i think of like what's happening again like with with the gymnastics team right and even how the fbi covered up the abuse that you know 100 girls were were raped by one person right and they were all minors right so it's like here's here's a problem houston we got a problem but even uh, this goes to show you the, the culture that we have created right you know we we also elected a president who had i forget how many accusations of rape and how many women and people didn't even care like that's just well, well like that's not a big deal um and and we even talked about brock turner right and yes. and how that that person was actually caught in the physical act of raping somebody and how the system basically said that they were more concerned about ruining his life than the life he just ruined, <laughs> right? Exactly. And no right. accountability. Like his life was more important than the woman, right? Right. And, and basically they were saying that boy, Brock Turner, will be that boy, meaning that will allow him to be that boy, that will allow him to be a racist. I mean, rapist, you know, and will allow him to continue to do these things because we're not making him accountable to his actions. Like you said, even though he was caught in the act and had to be pulled off of his uh, target, the person he was uh, raping at that moment by two other human beings who gladly, greatly came to her aid. But but yeah, that, that ability is, is taken apart there and survivors pay high prices for that high emotional prices, just like the women now, women who, you know, are talking about Larry Nasser, and let's name him. Larry Nasser and his connection to what I believe is the University of Michigan. And, you know, one of the things, again, as we have talked before, that really sticks out for me is a quote from the movie Spotlight that is obviously about the, the um, systemic levels of uh, child molestation and rape within the Roman Catholic Church. And actually, that's a global issue. It's not just a United States issue where a Boston movie spotlight was set. But one of the things that came out of that movie was if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to abuse one. And we clearly see that situation in the Olympics uh, with Larry Nasser, with all the people that looked the other way, the FBI that looked the other way, said that this was not a big issue. There similar issues with Har uh, not only Harvey Weinstein, but I'm thinking Jeffrey Epstein, yeah. you know, that people knew about this and looked the other way. So there's a culpability and an accountability that's communal, if not national. It's clearly systemic because if you can have a whole university or a whole, you know, United States uh, uh, authority like the FBI um, or, of course, you know, Know, police systems hold will sidestep these issues. nature of all this is, you know, uh, reveals a rotten core, you know, to the systems and to the culture, which I tend to call anti-culture because yeah. culture is about growth. And when you have these systems of oppression that exist and don't, don't get addressed, um, you know, we allow that to fester. We allow that um, that destruction, that oppression to fester. And that is anti-culture to me. Yeah, I think like in this case, like what would trigger this whole thing initially for my conversation was when I saw this photo was 
I saw adults promoting the insinuation of naked boys to wash your minor naked boys to wash right. your adult cars, right? We already know that mm -hmm. that's been happening for hundreds of years, right? With women, because I know yeah. I got challenged with, well, I go up, well, I saw girls doing that and being promoted that way too. I go, yeah. I, I would have said something too, because it's just, that's just how I am. And was the act yeah. innocent? I think it, I think the posting of it, what it was, I get why it was done. I, I really don't want to, it's not about shaming the individuals. It really speaks to a whole culture of how we have evolved and how have we normalized this because we have given these boys or children a green light mm -hmm. that says that if it's okay for you to laugh at me pretending to be naked underneath this sign, what else are we giving a green light to, right? Right? Right. So what would exactly. you say to the boys? Like to the boys, like for mm -hmm. instance, in this situation, what would you say to the young girls in these situations mm -hmm. that, that kind of, when we have adults that normalize their sexuality, put it that way, that, you know, mm -hmm. or, or whatever, that sexualize their bodies in that mm -hmm. way. Well, you know, what I would say to the young people, in addition to having conversations about very objective things, what did, what did you do? What did you see? What did you feel? Why did you do this? You know, I think those are all really great questions to ask them. And, and definitely not in the public sphere. You know, these, these young boys and any girls or others that uh, participate, you know, in these kinds of sexualized activities in public, we need to have these conversations. But what I would say directly to the young people is to turn this back to adults and to say, hey, you know, how come if there's some, you know, uh, challenge to this, this behavior that we did that we thought was normal, why is it that, you know, you are supporting us in this kind of way? What is it about adult culture that brought this to us? Why do we know this as a normalized thing? And again, that's an objective conversation, you know, but to say, adults, where is your guidance for our safety? Where is your guidance for having healthy conversations about nudity, about sexuality, about uh, relationships, communal relationships, interpersonal relationships, platonic relationships. And, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, a lot of these boundaries get blurred. You know, we talk about, you know, friend zoning, how men friend zone, you know, or get friend zoned, meaning that there's some entitlement to women's bodies that men expect, you know, that, oh, I'm in the friend zone. That's a horrible thing. No, that's not. But, but again, I'm just saying that to say that there are definitely, like you suggested, some really blurred lines that, you know, and I have always fought. Right? <laughs> they create that? safety issues. Right, exactly, exactly. You know, and, and I've, you know, kind of for years now have been, you know, battling, you know, with other men online sometimes or having disagreements about these gray areas, especially talking about consent and sexual safety, you know, because a lot of us will say, well, you know, you kind of don't know if, if they really wanted this or they really, well, did they say that? Did they say they wanted it? Did you have a conversation about that? So I think, you know, when we define relationships, when we define what adulthood and childhood is, we have to have these uh, conversations about what our expectations are, what their safety um, boundaries and protocols should be. You know, there's reasons why we say, why we don't have young people involved in sexualized activities, you know, because we know there's danger to it. We know there's traumatic things that can happen and they're not ready for that. We know they're not ready for that. You know, so um, these issues that I think 
young people can just reflect all of this back to adult culture because anything that the children are doing, they have seen from us. I'm not saying they're not creative and can't come up with new things, but generally what they're doing is what we've done. You know, because it, that's it, how that works. It goes to not what that's we not what we say. They follow what we do. It's, it reminds right. me because one of the things I finally did say, um, and I didn't bring this up initially when I brought up, opened this conversation and dialogue because I didn't want them to say, oh, well, she's bringing this up because she's triggered. No, I was trying to bring up like I was a child growing up in the same town. I was taught about stranger danger. I was taught yeah. about, well, if somebody comes and approaches you, come help me find my doggy, you know. But I still did it anyway at the age of 12 when I was sexually abducted Mm -hmm. um, and brought behind a funeral home in my town, Mm -hmm. literally one block from my house that I grew up in. Okay, and I did say no. And they didn't take it a step further. Did they cop a field? Yes. Did they do all those things? Mm -hmm. Yes. But I looked at it was I didn't go further than that. So it was my fault because I didn't listen and so i self-blamed and i never talked about it until i was over 45 years of age mm-hmm. why because i saw like i saw the adults here doing that they were defending a bad action yeah. they were defending a kind of a sexualization and what i saw is a third of the students that go to this particular high school have been raped i mean that's just the stats right <laughs> So before the age of 18, a third mm-hmm. of the students are going to be raped. So let's think about that. That's a lot of kids. It's a lot that's of a kids lot in of one young high people. school, right? That's a, that's a horror and show. Here, right. And the reason why I didn't talk to anybody was because of a, these particular adults who were trying to shame me for bringing up a conversation that, that's a difficult conversation that needs to happen that is typically silenced. This is why I did not even speak about it until age 45. Now, in the same time, right. at the age of 15, I, I used to say I lost my virginity, not by my choice. It also took me until, I basically came into like the, the Me Too movement, right? It took me until right. then to basically say that I was raped by this upperclassman, this senior in high school. I was a sophomore, okay? And I was raped in somebody's home with my friends downstairs, okay? Nobody heard me asking for help. Nobody heard any of that. And yet it still happened in this so-called safe town. So here's two, here's two, one person, two sexual acts that happened that I never told adults that I didn't feel safe enough because adults like to victim blame and they like to fight amongst themselves instead of listening to their children. And so they're saying, you know what? Mm. This is inappropriate behavior. This is not mm-hmm. approvable behavior. Okay. And, right. and are right. we giving these boys, I'm not saying them, but boys in general, when they act this way, a green light, but now mm-hmm. they, now they go and they forcibly kiss a girl that they're taking that mm-hmm. as a signal that they want sex. And now they have to right. up their numbers. Cause that's what high school boys do. It's all about, it's all about the numbers game. Right. Cause that's what the, that's the peer pressure. Right. I got to get another notch right. on my belt. Mm-hmm. At least that was the culture boys mm-hmm. brought up when I went to high school. The horror stories I heard that boys did to right. girls, I just was flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the culture that right. has to change. And that's the talk and dialogue that we have to talk about, right? Because one right. of the reasons why mm-hmm. I brought up the talk is because I know the amount of people that have probably been raped and their voices need to be heard. Right. So do I. Their yeah. voices need to be yeah. heard. So what would you say 
to those mm -hmm. victims, those, 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 those children that might even see this video or might see the conversations, what mm -hmm. would you say to them that mm -hmm. don't trust the adults, that don't feel like they feel safe? Or they maybe they're self-blaming saying, well, I didn't listen to the cues or because they did blur the boundaries and they didn't realize what they were giving themselves into because they didn't know what a healthy boundary looks like because they were told that this phenomena of pretending to sexualize nudity underneath the sign is okay. Right. <laughs> and attract adult attention. Right. 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 Yeah. I, I think um, it's important to be able to say that young people have options. It's important to say that, but it's also important to know that young people have options with a price. It's it's hard for them to access certain um, uh, uh, resources and things like that if they're under the age of eighteen um, to to advocate for themselves in a situation where they may have been um, or where they were sexually exploited or or assaulted or raped. Um, and so you know we have this large context of adult culture which has all the power all the resources and some of those yes are pointed toward young people and they're open you know to hearing from young people so but i think that's important to say that yes there are things that are open to them but that it may be really hard which is why adults individuals and communities have to be open to hearing the voices of survivors where we cannot shy away from it because the fingers might be pointing at us for our own accountability just like again if it takes a village to raise a child it takes a village to abuse one we know this is true and i again i find that found that to be the most one of the most profound things that come out of that movie but um movie spotlight but again you know we need to look at uh, organizations like rain r-a-i-n-n um, we need to look at some of the um um the national hotlines that that you know i've made available on websites that i've been a part of and you know regularly in the men's work group initiative group that i have on facebook and other places um and also you know places like uh like the fenway community health center here in boston um and other places that have trained people to listen to these reports that can act on that also you know in schools there are people that have to report when there is a situation that they hear of where there's been some kind of violence or or uh you know sexualized assault or violence because that's all violence we you know we need to know that rape is violence it's power and violence and and so you know i don't, I don't want that to be you know parsed away from each other right. this is all violence but but there are people that have to report these things that doesn't mean the system is working completely and we also know that people who have been um uh attacked people who have been raped people who have been sexually assaulted have a hard time reporting because they know the systems will make them pay a price for them. They will victim blame. They will say, what are you wearing? Why are you out, out at that time of night? Um, or, or why were you with those people? Why did you take a drink? Well, you know, those kinds of things. Why were you smoking or something like that? Which is not the point. The onus is on the rapist. The onus is on the violent attacker or predator. It is not on what the survivor does. But again, we have to raise up that narrative so that survivors have a safe place to come to so that they can trust us so that they don't hear us saying negative things like well boys will be boys well that's just kind of how it is that is not a safe place for a survivor to walk into and say hey something happened to me and that might happen in our families 
because you know our families can be very toxic and dangerous for us for young people and adults you know because of the powers that are that are at play so i think it's important for not only that we share these resources regularly but that we have these conversations out in the open because the attacks and the traumas are happening behind the scenes generally we don't allow them to come to the open so that there can be full healing and we have to do that we have to engage that i've seen parents be like i don't know why they didn't tell me why didn't they tell me and i can tell you as a child product why i never went to my parents because every time there was a rapist or somebody famous you know like Mm -hmm. recently um what's his name there (laughs) the supreme court there oh oh yeah uh, brett kavanaugh yes brett kavanaugh and or even you know um bill cosby right and i watched my father in both of those situations say all those women are liars they're all trying to destroy their reputations right and that makes a victim with that they don't realize what what happens is that puts up a wall for that child if they watch that parent constantly victim blame what they see on tv or always you know oh well but that that little league coach he donated so much money to this charity he was so good you know i don't understand how this can happen right that child is witnessing predatory protection right and so that does not make them feel safe to even come to mom and dad so Mm -hmm. when you want to know mom and dad if you want to know if you want to know why your child doesn't come to you these are some of the reasons as a child product why i never went to my family because i would watch my parents berate all the victims every time it was 100 percent of the time too every single time when somebody famous was getting charged with rape oh they're making it up they're trying to get rich they want this they want that right. and finally towards the end when i started having more of a voice i would say big you know i hate to say why well, your granddaughter would never come to you and i'll tell you why right <laughs> exactly if your grandmother was ever raped right because i got three daughters so Mm -hmm. the chances are statistically one of them may be raped and it doesn't mean that i want anything but that's where i'm like i want a safe place for my kids to fall on that that they can feel safe enough to say mom this happened to me Mm -hmm. and i can stop and i can listen Mm -hmm. without judgment on my own child right right Right. And, and that includes like if they're if they you know if you got boys and girls can blur boundaries too so you know they, they, we've, we've got a culture where we don't know what's a safe boundary we don't know what's not a safe boundary and i think that's hugely problematic and but the biggest one that i saw even you know you would think with the wake of epstein that you would still see adults seeing how adults are promoting sexualized behavior or nudity of children mm-hmm. basically right um and they weren't seeing it as a problem and i see that i see that mentality is a problem right and so than the actual image (laughs) yeah for sure and and again it's the anti-culture of of this kind of narrative and and i'm reminded of you know one of my classes in higher ed um a woman who happened to be pregnant um chimed in in class very early in the class and she was exasperated because she was looking for clothing for her soon to be born child. And she just in the class and she, in the class and she just unloaded in, in a great way. I mean, I'm sorry that she felt this way and had this experience, but she said all the clothing was sexualized. 
you know, even for babies, it said lady killer on it or, you know, um, uh, you know, it, it actually, I, I don't remember all the specific ones, but I, we can imagine and we know this. We've seen these kinds of things on children's clothing, you know, uh, where, you know, it's lady killer or or going to make the boys, you know, do this or that or something like that. And there's always there's this sexual context that is put into the narratives of how we even see our children, you know, our babies there, you know, and so this woman was was completely frustrated by this and wanted her child, whoever they were, to have a, a context of normalcy in the sense of that they are a child, not to be sexualized at this point, or not to have people even look at them in a sexual way. That shouldn't, let's just say that shouldn't happen until they're pretty much adults, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a, a really problematic nature to all this and that we do have to see this larger context of how we tell these stories of sexualization and to the degree that adults have to come clean with each other. And when we see survivors struggling against that anti-culture, and when we see children not able to talk to us, going silent, you know, their behavior might change at a certain time and we think, oh, well, this is just what teenagers do. Wait a minute, no, that's not what every teenager does. That you know, not every culture does that. Where where your child disappears from you when they're in their teenage years, many times that could be a really dangerous thing that's happening to them. But they don't feel comfortable to talk to you because you haven't set up a, a context of safety and respect for who they are as human beings. You know, there's a lot of talk in the consent you know conversations, and I've done you know some consent training you know with um, with uh, Jessica Mortel and and others around issues of, you know, does, do our children have to hug and kiss certain people, you know, in our family? And if they say no, that they have a, um, a boundary, we should be respecting that. We should be respecting whether they want to be touched or not touched or to be held or not held or to talk to a certain person. Yes, there's all these issues about respect, respecting your elders. I get that. That's deep in African culture from which I come. But there are also issues of Hey, is Uncle Frank safe? And maybe this child doesn't feel safe around Uncle Frank. And we have to respect that. And if we don't respect that, they're never going to come to us when something happens. And something may have already happened. And if we're not open to that, you know, this is horror. This is horror for children. It's horror for adults when we don't get listened to. And I come from a trauma background also. You know, recent and, and less clear in, in my, you know, much distant past, my childhood, but I know it's there. And, and it's, it's completely difficult to, to know that you've got brick walls around you instead of hearts who are open and have that empathy and understand your situation and want to hear it. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of, it, it kind of brings me to mind of like, you know, like what, what, what are we really teaching, right? What are we really teaching? Right. And, and, you know, um, you know, as, as a survivor, it's, yeah, the context of safety, but it's, it's the blurred lines. And, and like, and like we were just talking about earlier about the supervision, it's really falls on the adults. We have an epidemic. I've been saying it for, for as part of my work for the last 16 mm -hmm. years too, is mm -hmm. we have an epidemic of unresolved, unhealed trauma so bad that we don't even know what it looks like anymore 
which means that adults really need to get their shit together and take responsibility for their own shit and recognize it's not what happens in a year. It's that operating system. It's that trauma loop that it's operating system is running behind the scenes that forms beliefs, that forms normalization. And then there might be signs that your, your, your children are doing and you're not even catching it. You're not even right. catching them. And, and they could be giving you really large signs and right. you're just, boof. Right. Well, Uncle Timmy can't be doing that. They're nice. Right. And, and that's what predators they do. Love you. Predators are not only grooming their, their targets, they're grooming the community. They're totally wanting to be seen as perfect. They, they definitely bring flowers to somebody's mother when they're in the hospital, or, or they definitely go over to fix something at somebody's house. No, they definitely do that. But they also have access to our children and to women and, and non-binary people, to queer folks in, in our community. And they are doing these kinds of things primarily because we have a larger context that has been groomed also. You know, yeah. that, that says, oh my goodness, that coach could never have done that. They're the friendliest coach I've ever seen. That doesn't me. mean they can't be a predator. Yeah, it reminds you know I mean? me. Yeah, go ahead. It reminds me of a story. There was a whistleblower because even to this day, if I understand correctly, the, the police well, haven't done anything about this. Mm. That was a whistleblower in um, in the community in just south, I think, west of uh, Massachusetts, just uh, southwest of Mass. And um, this person was approved by multiple high schools to lead youth groups out of the country. Mm. And he befriended them. He groomed them. Um, he welcomed them in their, his home anytime, day, night. They had an argument with mom and dad, come on over. And he made sure he was so good that he waited until they were 18. Mm. And then when they had a little biff with mom and dad, what they would do, they come because now, well, he's my friend. He's the only one I can trust, right? Mm -hmm. And set up the scenario, take my bed, I'll sleep on the sofa. And then set mm -hmm. that scenario up. And then these children, because he waited until they were 18, and some of them he tried to do outside the country. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that way U.S. laws don't apply. Mm -hmm. Um and they would wake up at two o'clock in the morning, him raping them, telling them that he was exercising their demons to trust him. Oof. Okay. <laughs> and the, the, the amount of women he raped, there's quite a few of them. But mm -hmm. a lot of them won't come forward. I mean, I know of a healer that mm -hmm. has been accused by multiple women of raping. And he had mm -hmm. groomed them so well that he told them that it was uh, under the guise of religion that mm -hmm. some things may deem sexual, but they're not. So it really mm -hmm. goes to a blur of boundaries. And, and especially as a trauma survivor, trauma survivors, once their trust is broken, they don't know what a healthy boundary looks like. Right. And it does take a community to heal, to up-level that up. Right. And I know for myself, like all those, the rain, the 800 numbers, why would I go there? As a youth, I'm just thinking like, as a youth, why would I go to an 800 number? Like, right. I mean, think I I'm going to spill my shit over to, to like a 800 person on the other end. I don't think so. Right. Cause mm -hmm. what I was doing was self-shaming. I was self-blaming. I, I like, even when I was raped, right. losing my virginity to a rapist, mm -hmm. I looked at it as how did I not see the signs? How did I, right. 
I could have stopped this. Why didn't I say no hard enough? Why didn't I do right. this hard enough? How would I, you know, so right. it was a lot of like my, you know, that, 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 that self-blame. What would you say to the right. parents that are kind of doing the whole engagement of boys will be boys. My kids do all these mm -hmm. charity work, so they can't be doing the naughty work. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What are some of the other comments that we got? Um, kids don't have the life experiences to always know what adult behaviors are is problematic. That's our job. Can you take a joke? Boys are being boys. Um, our kids are just being children, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. This is a tiny mistake <laughs> that they made. Why are you shaming them? So what would you mm -hmm. say to like to parents that might be exhibiting this type of behavior? when their kids behave poorly? Yeah, uh, two things again. Boys will be boys because men have been men. Um, and men have been problematic men, to be more clear. We have done that. We have to own that as men, that we are, you know, some of us more than others, the creators and sustainers of patriarchy, of rape culture, of misogyny. There's that. The other thing we need to look at is when we say boys will be boys, why is it always problematic when we say that? Now, when we, you know, we never have a boys will be boys party when say, you know, I just learned that there was this young man who stood in front of a door at Parkland, the Parkland shooting, I believe in Florida, and he sustained five gunshots to, to his body, protecting the children in the classroom. And I just, and I didn't even know about him till this Facebook post, you know, Facebook has a lot of problems, but yay, Facebook. That's how humans communicate right now, you know, in, in part. So anyway, why is there no boys will be boys party for that young man? No one ever, we, we, you know, we barely even know that he existed. But when we say boys will be boys, it's usually to excuse some really questionable, if not dangerous or not horrific behavior. And we're kind of laughing it off like, oh, that's what has happened. And it's really telling when we say that. It's telling when we say boys will be boys. So we have to be clear about what we're, what we're saying yes to, what we're apologizing for, or what we're asking people to accept, that these boys have been problematic boys because men have been problematic men. And that's the connection. But that's the piece that we don't want to look at. You know, again, the accountability of the culture that holds the children that are now acting out in ways that we want to act like we're surprised at. And the only reason we're surprised is because we haven't looked at our own behavior and what its effect on each other are, you know? So um, I think those are two particular areas to look at there, but we have to be able to be objective and also know what we feel in our bodies, you know, when some of these things happen. And why, like you've said, why, why are we having this response? Why am, I all, why, why am I jumping up in this kind of reactive emotional way instead of saying, wait a minute, yeah, that wasn't cool. That wasn't cool what happened. It's not okay for boys to make believe that they're naked to get people to do a car wash. And it's not okay for us to allow young girls to be sexualized in their bikinis when they do so. You know, that also, you know, but you know, like when you said someone had said, well, why don't we talk about the girls? Because we've made that a normal kind of context where we sexualize women and don't even think about it. Yeah, if not a thousand, you know, but, but right. And but more generally and more horrifically, 
I think in this in this modern age, we've allowed you know kind of this uh, rampant you know mediafication of these kinds of activities and and narratives and stories and stereotypes um, to to become so deeply embedded. You know, when I look at old TV shows that I used to watch, and even before I was born, I'm like, wow, the misogyny is horrible. But I look at a new show like um, what's it called, Two and a Half Men, or Big Bang Theory, and I'm like, oh my goodness, the misogyny is horrible here. The racism is horrible here. You know, we still have really horrendous narratives that don't just live there. You know, they may live in in some of our religious texts. They may live in some of the, you know, the ideas that we just share in in community, you know, in in the conversations that we have, you know. Um, So there's lots of ways that this exists, and, and we have to call that out. We have to destroy those roots of, you know, of, of this misogyny, this, this rape culture, and we have to call it what it is, and we have to decouple our own feelings from that, though we have to look at our own accountability. We have to be able to look at our, um, our personal accountability, our communal accountability, and if you will, the national accountability, and we say, hey, where, where are we really going with this, and how are we not loving our children fully in a healthy, beautiful way? You know, are we allowing anti-culture yeah. to continue? I mean, I mean, it goes into all the other aspects, right? Because we have 58,000 children legally trafficked by family courts yeah. every year. And some right. of them are to documented sexual predators right. so, um, and abusers. Yeah. Um, it brings me to the other topic that I want to talk about, which is the difference between nudity mm-hmm. and sexualized nudity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when um, this one person in, in our in the, in the community was uh, kind of promoting centralized kind of services. I was looking at because I do have a friend of mine that's a nudist, mm-hmm. and I had to sit there and I go, "What's the difference between nudity versus sexualized nudity? What? How does that line get put? Because again, that's like a fine line, right?" Mm-hmm. And, I had, and what made me think about it is, well, when she posts, say, hey, I'm naked in my yard doing gardening, she's taking pictures of her feet. Mm-hmm. This person that was already accused to be a predator um, was taking pictures of a coffee cup covering his genitals mm-hmm. <laughs> in the woods. Mm-hmm. And I said to me, that's how we sexualize, because you're taking a picture of your privates, right? Basically. You're covering up your privates. You're referring so, to them. So the focus Right. So you're focusing on that versus I'm naked and I'm taking a picture of my feet. Right. So yeah. I think I want to have yeah. like, how, do, how, how do we blur the lines of like what's nudity and what's sexualized nudity? Like, how do we understand the difference? Well, I think part of it is intent and impact. You know, um, intent and impact is not the same thing, of course. We can intend one thing. You know, and the impact of it is another thing. You know, often, you know, white people, men will say, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. You know, I didn't mean for you to be hurt, but what you said had an impact of, of harm, you know, that kind of thing. So there's there's one thing about the intent, you know, like I think about that there are many, many cultures uh, where, you know, people are new together, children and adults, because, you know, they're bathing, they're doing certain things. They may not be wearing a lot of clothes anyway. So there may be that, and they are not sexualized. There may be, you know, 
cultures that, well, there are cultures that acknowledge that at a certain age, you know, you, we initiate you into adulthood and where now there's an expectation that you might start to think about, you know, being coupled with somebody or, you know, um, have a partner or something like that, that you're ready for that. Um, and that we are also ready to hold you in that um, as opposed to a society. And, and in those societies, many times there is not this narrative of sexualization of bodies of people and particularly of young people at all okay and and the conversations around sexuality are more open or they are you know more prescribed and and embedded in the culture because there's no fear about it and and because there's no attack because of it you know there's so you know it is not intended for that the nudity is not in and there's not an intention for that you know the intention for nudity in some cultures is to take care of your body or the intention for it is to um be comfortable so in the environment that you're in right right yeah. so there are many intentions for things that do not include harm but when you when we live in a society where sexualization happens all the time and i struggle against it too you know, I see somebody get on the bus and I'm like, oh, are they good looking around? I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing this for? I don't even know this person. They don't want to hear that I'm sexualizing them. You know, that that's not even a thing they need. They don't want that. And it's not positive for them. You know, so, you know, that we have a society and and one clarity I want to make from my perspective. It's I don't think that sex sells. I think that we sell sex. And I think there's a difference we use sexuality to sell things, you know, whether it's hair products or a car or an insurance policy. We will sexualize people within that, generally women, you know, and to, to bring attention to it, to bring emotional power to it, but that's always, and generally an exploitative thing, you know. So in that context, you know, for this culture, United States culture, United States of America, uh, we live in a very sexualized culture, but we also live in one where we don't talk about sex very easily. And we talk about it really badly, you know, because uh, I've had those conversations with people and uh, around consent and, and um, sexuality and about our bodies, things like that, how we hold that. So I think um, the intent and impact thing is really important in this society, in, a, in an anti-culture, we are intending to sexualize and the impact is negative. So I guess it goes like to the patriarchal, yeah. right? Where it goes like boys are raised. Well, you're a stud if you have sex before the age of 18 with like 20 girls, right? right? But if you're a girl right. who actually says, I like sex, well, you're a slut. You're a whore. You're, right. you're, a, you're a blasphemy, you know? Um, yeah. So I think it goes to that whole dynamic, right? Uh, right. and, and yeah, and it's not to negate that boys aren't going to have a surge of hormones and they don't know what to do with it. Right. And I think that's up to the job of us as adults. Like right. you're right. Like it takes a village mm -hmm. to to raise a child, but it also takes a, it takes a village to destroy one too. Right, right, right. And yeah, and, and part of that I think for me very quickly is that you know when we have these conversations more openly, adult to adult, and we know how to have these conversations with with children and young people, um, we create a context again where there's safety. We create a context, hopefully, where there's consent, and we create a context where, you know, we can 
fight against those expectations, that entitlement that we give to boys around that, you know, because we say, yeah, you know, even getting your first notch or, you know, your kind of sexualized experience or sexual experience is very important earlier and earlier. Um, and um, and that that's a real thing. And that, again, yeah, we give a double standard or very narrow conceptions for women and queer folks, how they're supposed to be, how we allow them within patriarchy to be sexual and to be sensual beings and to be full human beings. So, so I think we really have to have these open conversations, but we have to really be clear about this power dynamic that um, patriarchy and misogyny and misogynoir, again, thank you, Dr. Moya Bailey, you know, um, you know that, that we have to look at that and pull that apart and destroy those that hold on us, you know, so that we can have healthy relationships. So what would be the one thing that if you had a teenager watching this right now, mm. what would be the one thing, one pearl you would want them to know? You know, there's, it's hard because there are maybe a hundred or maybe a thousand, but I'm just going to go to something very simple that opens up a conversation and it's around consent issues that our no is enough, no matter what the situation is. And our no should be respected. We don't owe anybody an explanation for why we say no to something. But depending on that relationship, it might be helpful to the other person. But we do not owe them that for whatever reason. And also, likewise, our yeses are important, which includes things like our, our sexual identities. You know, um, those yeses to say that this is who I want to love and this is how I want to love them. Those yeses are also important. If no is important, yes is important. And, and all of those need to res be respected. Within that, we cannot have entitlements about how we gain not only sexual pleasure, but, but you know, access to other people as friends or their, their access to us. No one, you know, we don't owe anybody access to our life. But part of that is, again, respecting our boundaries, respecting our histories, respecting our intergenerational histories, you know, around these oppressions. Um, so again, as I say, it's about kind of no and yes. There's so many things that come out of this, um, that conversation. And I think it's a fundamental question that, um, that goes from interpersonal relationships all the way up to international and intergroup relationships, like around pipelines, the consent that we do not give to say, you know, oil companies to build a pipeline through our land, you know, if you're indigenous peoples. And it also says, no, I don't want you to touch me, or I don't want you to be in my space, or I'm trying to leave this room and you're stalking me, or something like that. So, yeses and nos really have to be respected, and we deserve to have them respected. Every human deserves to have those respected. So, maybe that's a kernel. Right. But there's a lot that comes from that. There's a lot of conversations Absolutely. we need to have Absolutely. around that. Now, we, we could go on like umpteen different episodes just talking about all this stuff, right? Yes. There's a lot <laughs> so to talk now, about. So now let's talk about parents. What would be the one thing that you would want to say to the parents out there, to the mm -hmm. adult population out there mm -hmm. on this topic? Wow. Listen and learn. Listen and learn. And it's going to add to more things. I'm going to just say a little bit more. Listen and learn, listen to your children, listen to survivors, listen to the voices of the oppressed, 
um, listen to what oppressors are saying, because that's important too. You know, listen to those voices, but be willing to adjust our lives as adults, as parents, based upon the real grounded, important voices of those who are who have been um, targeted, who have been oppressed, who have been um, assaulted um, and or molested. Um, and to allow those voices to live in our society without judgment, without uh, reaction, without um, oh, you know, violence against them because they've done it, um, without that repercussion or backlash. Backlash is what I was looking for. Um, and so, you know, that listening and learning, again, that's a key piece, but that has a lot of outgrowth um, to, you know, what that actually means to listen and learn. Because listening and learning must, in, in a context of oppression, must always mean that we're going to push back against that oppression, that our behaviors are going to change, our patterns are going to change, our language is going to change. Absolutely. So listen and learn and know that change has to happen that if everybody's going to be safe. That also means the Violence Against Women Act has not been renewed yet, so everybody needs to be called a congressman to make sure that gets mm -hmm. renewed. Now, right. I also put three, three additional kind of tips, and one of them is it's really addressing the bystanders. If you see something wrong, you need mm -hmm. to speak up because the yes. culture of abuse will only end and will only provide a safe space for survivors of abuse if the bystanders are willing to speak up. Rock Turner right. would never have been brought to justice if it wasn't for a bystander who intervened. You see? Right, directly. So it takes bystanders right. to mm -hmm. be able to speak up, say something, do something. Just don't say, it's not my problem. It's not my child. It's not, right. my, it's not my sister. It's not my brother. It's not my wife, whatever. It is your problem it, because this is, this is why we have a culture of abuse because we ignore these. The second one is when you get triggered, it might be something else that gets triggered within you. So you need to stop, pause, and breathe and take a look through a different lens before you react. I understand we want to protect our children, but when our children do bad or when our brother does bad or our husband or our wife do bad, we need to be able to stop, pause, and breathe and know how to show up and deal with our own shit, really. Mm -hmm. That's actually third, the third one. The third one is work on our own shit, work on our own trauma, work on our own bias, because our kids will do what they see, mm -hmm. not what they are told. Mm -hmm. If they're watching a toxic behavior, a toxic belief system, believe me, they're going to they're gonna follow in that. They're not mm -hmm. going to follow in what you say outside of that. So it's very mm -hmm. important that we as parents do our own work, our own trauma work, because right. we, we are a culture mm -hmm. of unhealed, unresolved, repressed trauma, right. <laughs> especially after COVID. I don't think anybody doesn't have trauma now. Like it's, right. it's, it's really apparent. So mm -hmm. um, what is the website that if anybody wants to reach you for anything, mm -hmm. what would be a good website for somebody to contact you? Well, one of the places would be on Facebook, uh, the Men's Work Initiative. Um, so just um, uh, search men's work, um, and it's men's work, an initiative of the World Ancestor Concert Team. And also where you'll see some of the men's work writing that I've done is on the worldancestorconcert.com website. And there's a, a page called men's work, and there are also some resources. There are also some 
um, some suggestions, some some uh, work that I've written that it helps guide men and others to how to look at um, patriarchy, how to look at racism, and those are inter intertwined. You know, um, you know, many of these issues that we come up with are intersectional. So yeah, to look at look for men's work on the worldancestorconcert.com website. Um, you know, which has come out of that work. You know, our so is that, theme is that is that, that www.ancestorconcert.com. Worldancestorconcert.com. Yes, www.worldancestor.com. Look for a pull-down menu um, that talks about our world. And you'll see something under there for men's work, or you can just, um, you know, search men's work, um, and that should come up. Also, know that men's work, capital M E N S, capital W O R K, is a hashtag that I've been feeding uh, for a long time now. So there are a lot of resources if you just search men's work or men healing men or hashtag men take notice. There's a lot of posts out there, lots of information, and in a group like men's work Facebook group. We're trying to support conversations, and there are many other men's groups around. We're not the only one, clearly, but but it's one place so you can find me, and you can find other people that are looking to, you know, become more aware and to be different, to be better, because that's the goal. You know, not just to, oh yeah, that's nice, that's cool. You know, you. we need to change. We all need to change. We all need to grow. So that's one of the places you can reach me, and just look me up on Facebook, Ukumbwa U K U M B W A. Um, and you'll find me there. Beautiful. I know, like, that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get the book that I'm trying to publish on healing the roots to chronic illness and trauma, because mm. we, we even look at chronic illness and we don't think of trauma. We just think, oh, it's just heart disease. Oh, it's just diabetes. Oh, it's just chronic right. pain. Oh, it's just fibromyalgia. Those mm -hmm. are all characteristics per the ACE study, which is the, the longest study uh, that's been going on since, I think, 1990. That's now part of the CDC on the adverse childhood events and how that correlates to long-term chronic illness and disease. Mm -hmm. And it really, because we are a culture that just put band-aids, we don't address trauma and how it seeds itself even into the right. world of chronic illness. So right. I'm hoping to have a book published by, hopefully by right. January, 2020 on healing mm -hmm. the roots to chronic illness and trauma. My mm -hmm. website is uh, laurahealingwithspirit.com. I am on Instagram, Twitter. I'm on TikTok. Uh, I do have a Facebook page called Healing Trauma with Spirit through Spirit. Um, and um, yeah, we're in this together. And um, I thank you for joining me. And I look forward to taking this idea of what we're creating with triggers and spiritual medicine and how do we branch it into all these other tentacles that kind of feed right. itself, right? And exactly. what is the medicine? Like, what, what is the what is the takeaway? What's the medicine that we can give to help others kind of sort through and be be what they what the world needs to be right now in a world right. of toxicity? Right, we have a lot exactly. of toxicity right now. We really need that more medicine. And right. How do we show up for that? Right. Exactly. So Lots of conversations. Yeah, and thank you. Really appreciate it, Laura.